So this summer, uh, we're in a series called Holidays and Road Trips with Jesus. And we've been sort of journeying through uh, the, the Gospel of Matthew over the past year. So specifically this summer, we're kind of using this idea that it's vacation time for some. And uh, often people go on holidays and road trips. And so we're, we're taking a holiday or a road trip with Jesus and, and learning a bit about him. And so... As I was thinking about this series and the title for the series, uh, I was thinking about some road trips that I've done over the years and how often road trips can be a catalyst for getting to know people on a whole new level, right? Uh, when I was a student in Bible college, I lived in Southern Ontario. I went to school in Regina and so I had to do like a 28 to 30 hour road trip every time I went back and forth to school. And in my second year, I had my own vehicle, and so all of a sudden I had students that I didn't really know very well who just wanted a way home to southern Ontario. Hey, can I get a, a ride with you? And sure, as long as you know, share in the driving and share in the gas and all of that. And, and so you spend 30 hours with somebody, and you, you get to know them pretty well, right? There was one friend of mine who had quite the lead foot, and uh, I think it was every time he started falling asleep at the wheel, his foot would just go down on the accelerator, right? So I'd feel the, my little Mazda 323, you know, go into turbo gear, and, which it didn't have, and uh, just kind of startled me out of my sleep at 3 in the morning. And So I learned some things about these people that I traveled with. Um, sometimes we learn a bit about family, right? Uh, Pastor Tim and, and Tanya Cortez, they're on a road trip across to eastern Canada and back. If you've been following them on Facebook and some of the photos they've been sharing, I'm sure they're, they're you know, discovering new things about each other on this massive road trip they're on. And uh, some of you have been on some road trips this summer already. So I think about one uh, in particular that came to mind, and uh, my daughter gave me permission to share this story. I think she gave me permission. Uh, but uh, so my daughter Emma, she's uh, 16, very social, outgoing, friendly kid. Seems pretty like you know relaxed and uh, and easygoing in public. And uh, when she was three years old, uh, her and I took a road trip here from Okotoks to Winnipeg. So. My wife Tammy and our other daughter Matea, who is not quite a year yet, uh, they flew to Winnipeg and we were driving to meet them there. And so Emma had just recently been potty trained or kind of in that season of being potty trained. And so when Tammy left, she said, you know, make sure you guys stop regularly to go to the bathroom and here, take this little, you know, portable potty seat with you just in case. And, and so we had the, you know, the van ready and I was prepped with the instructions, you know, stop regularly and uh, make sure Emma is okay. Of course, I'm her dad, I'll make sure she's okay. And so we started our drive and uh, our plan was to stop in Regina overnight at uh, our aunt's house and then from Regina go to Winnipeg. So Okotoks to Regina is roughly an eight hour drive, give or take. And so there's a few stops you can make along the way. So we started driving along and, and we stopped in Medicine Hat, which is like two and a half, three hours from Okotoks, right? So we stopped there, um, maybe filled up with gas or got a snack or something. And I said to Emma, Emma, do you want to use the washroom while we're here? So she's three and she says, no, I, I don't need to go. And I said, okay, uh, are you sure? Because uh, we've still got a little ways to go and the next stop's probably a couple hours away. Are you sure you don't want to go? No, nope, I'm good. Okay, well, Daddy's going, and uh, you know, and then we'll get back in the car. And we'll keep going. So we kept going, and we got to Swift Current, which is another couple hours away. So now, roughly five hours from Okotoks, and uh, there's a 7-Eleven there. So I think we might have stopped for a treat, like Slurpee or something like that. And Slurpees, you know, you should probably use the washroom after that. So I said to Emma, Emma, 
Uh, you know, it's been five hours, which she doesn't really get that, she's three, but you know, it's probably time to use the washroom. No, Daddy, I'm going to the washroom in Regina. And I was like, oh, okay, um, why, why, you know? Well, that's where we're stopping tonight, so that's where I'm going to the washroom. Okay, so uh, I'm sure you don't need to go, like, you know, we don't want to have any accidents. So we're driving along from Swift Current now to Regina, and I'm looking back, you know, making sure there's nothing going on back there. We got to Regina, and sure enough, she waited, and we got to the house, she went to the washroom, and that's where she went. No accidents, no nothing. And what that taught me about my daughter is she's got a bit of a, a strong-willed, kind of stubborn streak, right? She gets something in her mind, and that's, you know, that's what's going to happen. There's no arguing her out of that. I could tell stories about Matea as well, who probably has that similar streak, and uh, I won't bore you with those details. And, Tammy told me not to say any stories about her and our little trips together, so we're just having a family there. But think about some of the road trips you've taken and the people that you've gone on those trips with and some of the things that you've learned about them. Maybe you've learned new things, you know, maybe some things that you already thought or maybe new have been reinforced. My child has a stubborn, strong-willed nature to her. You know, I probably saw that before that trip, but it was kind of reinforced there. And it's in a good way, Emma, just so you know, it's good to have a strong, little stubborn streak. We want you to stand strong, so that's a good thing. But what have you learned about people? And this summer, as we're sort of road tripping with Jesus, what are some of the things that you've been learning about him over the last few weeks as we've sort of traveled with him? We've gone up and down a mountain. Uh, we've uh, experienced him healing and talking to his disciples and interacting with Peter. And we've learned some things about him. So what are some of the things that you've been learning? So we're going to continue to road trip with him. And uh, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 17, verses 24 to 27. So if you've got your Bibles, you can turn there. Matthew 17, verses 24 to 27. Kind of a, an obscure little passage that we're looking at this morning. Uh, let me just read it for us. And it'll be on the screen as well if you want to follow along there. After Jesus and his disciples arrived in Capernaum, the collectors of the two drachma temple tax came to Peter and asked, Doesn't your teacher pay the temple tax? Yes, he does, he replied. When Peter came into the house, Jesus was the first to speak. What do you think, Simon? he asked. From whom do the kings of the earth collect duty and taxes? From their own children or from others? Jesus is playing a bit of a, a, a riddle game with Peter. From others, Peter answered. Well, then the children are exempt, Jesus said to him. But so that we may not cause offense, go to the lake and throw out your line. Take the first fish you catch, open its mouth, and you will find a four drachma coin. Take it and give it to them for my words <coughs> and yours. This is God's word for us this morning, kind of an interesting one. So let's pray and let's invite Jesus to speak through his word. Jesus, we thank you for uh, the road trips that you took with your disciples. And we thank you for the journeys that we've been on with you over this past year as we've been going through the book of Matthew. We invite you once again this morning to lead us as we travel with you and take us back to this episode, this event that took place with you and Peter and the other disciples probably looking on. Take us there with you, Jesus. Help us to capture this story uh, in our mind's eye that we would have uh, sort of a holy imagination this morning 
be able to see what's going on here and to hear you speak to us. So Holy Spirit, we invite you to speak this morning and take this word and apply the truth that you desire us to hear. Apply it to our hearts. Help us to receive it from you and respond to you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So there's a few angles that we could probably go with this passage and uh, a few different points and observations that we can make. But where I want to go with this this morning is to kind of zero in on Peter and Jesus and what's going on here between them. And specifically Peter's experience in this passage. And we're going to kind of ask the question of Peter, you know, how well did Peter know Jesus? Because there's a bit of a, a misunderstanding that he has about Jesus in this passage. If you didn't catch it, we'll, I'll explain it. But how well does, did Peter know Jesus? And then a question by extension for us to consider this morning. How well do you know Jesus? How well do you know Jesus? Keep that question sort of in your mind as we journey through this passage. And as we consider Peter... And his journey, just kind of remember back to the fact that throughout the book of Matthew, Peter's been sort of traveling with Jesus for almost the entire book. You know, early on, um, Jesus invited Peter to follow him. Peter was out fishing with a couple other guys, and, and uh, they were using nets. I just cast a line. He wasn't casting a line. He threw out a net. So he was out netting for fish. And, uh, and Peter came along and said, leave your nets behind and come follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. And from that point on, Peter started following Jesus. He traveled with him, he ate with him, they probably had sleepovers together. Um, they, they probably did. Uh, they didn't go on road trips per se, like donkey trips and stuff like that. They, they traveled together, they spent a lot of time together. Here in this passage, it's probably two and a half years later, three years later, Peter's been journeying with Jesus and he's been hearing Jesus preach and teach and watching him cast out demons and heal people and do amazing things. He's had one-on-one -on -one conversations with Jesus. He's heard Jesus teach to the masses. He's had quite a journey of following Jesus and you would expect that Peter would know Jesus quite well at this point in time. In chapter 16, verse 15, this was a, a passage that was preached on a few weeks ago. Jesus posed this question to Peter. Who do you say I am? He's kind of testing Peter. Because he had just been talking about who the crowd say Jesus is. And Jesus says, Peter, who do you say I am? And Peter responded in that moment, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And, and Jesus sort of celebrates the correct answer. You got it right, Peter. I am who you say I am, the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And then we go from that point, and again, Peter's got sort of these ups and downs with Jesus, because right after that, Jesus predicts the fact that he's going to be killed, and three days later raised to life, and Peter takes Jesus aside and says, never, Lord, this should not happen. And he was rebuked. Jesus actually said, get behind me, Satan. That was a passage we looked at a couple weeks ago. And so Peter, in one moment, says, you know, the right answer, and the next moment, he's got it wrong. He's not understanding God's ways and, and what Jesus is up to. And then Peter goes with Jesus up the mountain, right? And, and Jesus is transfigured, transformed. His appearance his shines before Peter and James and John, and, and Peter gets all excited and says, hey, let's go camping, let's put up some tents, and, and let's stay here for a while. And again, Jesus is like, no, we're going back down the mountain. And, and, uh, but he had this mountaintop experience, and then comes down, and, and this uh, last week looked at this passage where um, Jesus had to sort of bail out the disciples who couldn't, uh, couldn't 
uh, cast out this demon from his demon-possessed boy, and, and Jesus sort of rebukes Peter and the disciples for their lack of faith. And, and so Peter's got this very up-and-down journey with Jesus. How well did Peter know Jesus? And then we get to this passage that we're looking at this morning, this temple tax. And let's look at the dilemma in this passage and sort of where Peter goes, goes wrong again. Verse 24. After Jesus and his disciples arrived in Capernaum, the collectors of the two drachma temple tax came to Peter and asked a question. Doesn't your teacher pay the temple tax? Well, let me just explain what the temple tax is before we get into the Peter's incorrect answer. The temple tax was for the Jewish community. This was not a civil tax. It wasn't a tax that was issued by Rome. But these were God's people, the Jews, collecting money for the upkeep of the temple. And so this was sort of a religious tax, if you want to call it that. And it was an annual fee that was collected. And it kind of had its roots uh, back in Exodus 30. Um, this idea that any uh, male over 20 years old was to give this annual tax for the upkeep of the sanctuary, which eventually became the temple. And so if you were a Jewish man and you were over 20, it was expected that you would pay this tax, this annual tax. And so these tax collectors, these uh, religious Jewish men, came to Peter and, and said, it's time to collect the tax, and doesn't your teacher pay the temple tax? And so Peter responds in the way that we would probably assume he would respond. He would look at Jesus, and in his mind, Jesus was a faithful Jewish man, a God-fearing, devoted man of God. Of course he would pay the temple tax. Any godly person, any godly Jewish person would pay this, this tax that's being collected. So Peter responds in verse 25, yes, he does. He pays the temple tax. As we're going to look at in a minute, um, Jesus has to kind of correct Peter. Peter didn't really get this answer right. He didn't really think deeply about who Jesus was and the implications of who Jesus was and whether or not he would actually pay this tax. It appears that Peter makes some assumptions about Jesus without really thinking it through. All good Jews pay the temple tax. Why wouldn't Jesus? Now consider your own journey with Jesus, as we've just kind of looked at Peter in a real nutshell here. Consider your own journey with Jesus, and how well do you know Jesus? And I'm not questioning your, I'm not questioning your salvation experience, but from the time that you started getting to know Jesus as a child of God, as a follower of Jesus, how has your journey gone? And can you relate to Peter at all? Maybe you've had some ups and downs, times where you just feel like, yeah, I got it right. And other times where you think, you know what, uh, I think I failed that one. Uh, or somebody asks you a question about your faith and a question about Jesus and you think, yeah, I, I got that right. Or another time where, you know what, uh, I don't think I got that quite right. Maybe I don't understand Jesus as well as I thought I did. What's your journey with Jesus been like? How have you grown in your relationship with him? since you first met him? Has your journey been a mix of ups and downs? And, and can you relate to Peter at all? Now think of any good friend in your life. Think of somebody that maybe you've known for a while. And then consider that relationship. How well do you know that person? So a friend of mine that comes to mind is a friend who's been in my life for about 30 years. His name is Dave. And Dave currently pastors in Brooks, Alberta. 
shout out to Brooks. I know there's some Brooks people here. Um, every so often I go down to Brooks and, and help him out by preaching, giving him a bit of a break. Dave and I have been friends for 30 years, and our relationship has had its ups and downs. Any relationship in your life, it's not static, right? Relationships are always moving, and they're always changing. And so my relationship with Dave began when we were teenagers, and we hung out a lot, and then we were off to Bible college and became roommates. That nearly killed the relationship. <laughs> we managed to kind of get over that about a year later and kind of reworked where we were at and how important we were to each other. And then we kind of scattered back and forth across the country, crossing paths. Uh, at one point, he lived in High River when we first moved here to Okotoks, so that was the closest we've lived since we lived in the same place in Ottawa years ago. And as I look at my relationship with Dave, there's been seasons where we talked a lot, seasons where we didn't talk much at all. Those seasons where we talked a lot, it's like I knew exactly what was going on in his life and what he was thinking and how he was feeling, and those times when we didn't talk, I didn't really know how he was doing. Even when he lived miles apart, you know, when he was in Ontario and I was here in Alberta, we would still talk regularly, so we'd, we'd keep in, in connection. But there were other seasons where that, that wasn't really happening. And so that relationship has had its ups and downs. And if you were to think of an important relationship in your life, you could probably say the same thing. How well do you really know that person? Well, it probably depends on kind of where you're at with that person these days. For those of you who are, who are married, um, I just officiated a wedding last weekend, and, and this couple comes, and, and they, they share their vows together and their commitment to, to live life together, husband and wife, you know, for the rest of their lives. And, but if they walked away from that ceremony and then never talked to each other again, their relationship's not really going to thrive, is it? They might be husband and wife in title, but the relationship would be lacking. So back to your relationship with Jesus. How well do you know Jesus? How's your relationship with him these days? Now let's go back to Peter and kind of dive into the rest of this passage and take note of Jesus' interaction with Peter and how he corrects Peter, because Peter didn't get it right in his answer. So how does, Pete, how does Jesus correct him? And take note of, of Jesus' kind, patient, gracious response to Peter. And he's going to draw him to sort of two areas that we're going to consider uh, as part of this idea of how well Peter knew Jesus. He's going to, he's going to um, deepen his factual knowledge of Jesus. So Jesus is going to deepen Peter's factual knowledge of himself. And then he's going to go into some experiential knowledge to help Peter get to know him better. So let's look at this uh, idea of the factual knowledge uh, from verse 25. Uh, so after Peter responds to the tax collectors, yes, uh, my master is going to pay the tax, is what Peter said. And when Peter came into the house, verse 25, Jesus was the first to speak. What do you think, Simon? He asked. From whom do the kings of the earth collect duty and taxes? From their own children or from others? And so Jesus is kind of reframing the question that these tax collectors have just asked Peter. He's putting some new language, sort of a new image to it. Do the kings of the earth collect duty and taxes from their own children or from others? And we would probably be able to answer this question if Jesus asked us this morning. The kings of, of this world don't collect taxes from their own children. They collect it from the citizens of the kingdom, and collect it from others. And so Peter responds, yeah, from others. And Jesus says, so the children 
are exempt. And the implication here is what Jesus is trying to say is, I am not just your everyday, ordinary Jewish man, over 20, religious, faithful, devoted, godly person who should pay the temple tax. I'm actually the son of the living God, which you just told me a couple chapters back. They didn't have chapters at that point in time. But you know, a couple days back when I asked you, who do you say I am? And you said, you're the Messiah, the son of the living God. Jesus is kind of reminding Peter, that's still me. And as the son of God, technically, I don't need to pay the temple tax because the temple is actually God's house. It's my house. I'm part of the family. I don't need to pay the tax. He didn't really go into all that elaborate detail that I just did, and I don't think he was even as angsty towards Peter as I was just sort of relaying. Peter probably got it as soon as Jesus said, the children are exempt. Peter's thinking, ah, oh, I didn't get it right. I answered those guys incorrectly. I misrepresented you to them. So that's some of the factual knowledge. Peter didn't quite get the facts straight. And even though he probably knew at this point in time that Jesus was the Son of God, he failed to represent him well when he was asked a point-blank question about Jesus. Whether he forgot in that moment or choose to just not go there with those guys, he just you know, didn't want to embarrass himself and create a scene, we're not really sure why he didn't get the answer right. But Peter needed to think deeply about Jesus. He needed to be reminded of these factual truths, this head knowledge that he was beginning to grasp. Jesus was trying to, take, to let that head knowledge take root in Peter's life. And then Jesus moves to some experiential knowledge, or maybe heart knowledge, if you want to call it that. But he moves Peter not just from his head, but to his heart and his experience with him. So after uh, Peter answered, you know, from others, Jesus said the children are exempt. So verse 27, but, so that we may not cause offense because you've kind of gotten us into a mess now, Peter, uh, and now I've got to pay a tax that I really don't have to pay. Again, I'm filling in some blanks here, but, but so that we may not cause offense, go to the lake and throw out your line. This time he is casting out a rod, a different kind of fishing for Peter. Go to the lake, throw out your line, take the first fish you catch, open its mouth, and you will find a four drachma coin. Take it and give it to them for my tax and yours. Any of you fishermen ever got out and caught a fish and found a coin that you could bring and give in the offering? Not lately, no. Um, so that was kind of this strange miracle with this experience that Jesus is inviting Peter into. So in addition to this factual knowledge, Peter, I want to remind you that I am the son of the living God. I am the Messiah that you just told me I was a couple days ago. I want to remind you of that. But in addition to that head knowledge, in order for that truth to really sink deeply into your life, I'm going to play, uh, you know, we're going to have a little miracle here right now. And so just think of the significance of this miracle. Jesus tells Peter, a fisherman, to go fishing. How much more gracious can you get than that, right? Peter just messed up. He answered incorrectly. Jesus is trying to teach him some things. And he says, you know what, fisherman? Go get your rod and go to the lake and go fishing for a while. It'd be like saying to me, Craig, you messed up. Go grab your golf clubs, head over to Darcy Ranch, and play a round of golf on me. That would be like the equivalent, okay? So go throw your line. Um, it's a personal miracle. 
Jesus is speaking to Peter on a very personal level, in a very intimate sort of, I know you, Peter. I know your passions and what you love and, and your, your past and your life. And, and so I'm going to speak in your language to you right now. Go fishing. And then once you go, you know, take the first fish you catch, open its mouth, and you will find a four drachma coin. And that's going to be what's uh, God's provision to pay this tax, right? So what's up with that little thing? There is actually some cultural connection to this miracle as well. This isn't just a, you know, this is a miracle for sure, but it's speaking again in a cultural language that Peter would have caught. Greek uh, legend or folklore or fairy tales, if you want to call them that, would often speak of uh, people being blessed, going out and finding fish with, with um, trinkets or uh, or um, coins or you know precious objects in them, and this is kind of a, a sort of a, a legend or a folk or a, a story that had been passed down. And the Jews kind of adopted this story and sort of had their own version of it that God would bless righteous people by leading them to find precious objects in the mouths of fish. Not really sure where this story came from, but but in the fashion of this cultural story, this cultural legend. Jesus speaks to Peter by making it come true. And says, go get your fishing rod, go fishing, something you love to do, catch a fish, and you're going to be blessed. When you open the mouth of that fish, there's going to be a coin, and that coin is going to be the provision to pay the tax that you just got us into this mess about. Put yourself in Peter's shoes that day, and imagine what he learned, or maybe what was reinforced in his life through this interaction with Jesus. It was a pretty amazing conversation with Jesus, this sort of riddle, this, this question that Jesus draws him into. He's reminded that Jesus is the Son of God. And then he has this experience. I get to go fishing. I messed up, and Jesus is telling me to go fishing. How awesome is that? He goes fishing and then catches this fish that provides the need. And just think of what Peter would have thought of Jesus in that moment. Truly, he is the Son of God. Truly, he is the, the Lord over all creation. Truly, he is more powerful than I could ever dream or imagine. Now think about your own life and this question, how well do you know Jesus? And consider your factual knowledge, the facts about Jesus. What do you know about him? What do you often forget about him? What are you maybe too shy to say about him when somebody comes and asks you a question about him? What can we learn from Peter and his example in how to grow in what we think and believe about Jesus? Sometimes I wonder if we just we need to take more time to think deeply about Jesus. And even this morning, as Bill and the team have led us in worship and, and Michael prayed and, and we open God's word. It's an opportunity to think deeply about who Jesus is. To be reminded about some truths that maybe we've forgotten about him. So how well do you know Jesus in your head? Just the facts. And then the second part of Peter's experience was his experiential knowledge of Jesus. He actually experienced Jesus. He didn't just know things about him, but he actually lived out an experience with Jesus. And what can we learn from that? If you put yourself in Peter's shoes here and, uh, and just kind of rewind back to verse 27 again, 
Jesus says, so we may not cause offense, go to the lake and throw out your line. Take the first fish you catch, open its mouth, and you'll find a four drachma coin. Take it and give it to them for my tax and yours. Jesus is giving Peter some very straightforward instructions. And what if Peter said, you know what, I don't feel like fishing today. It's kind of rainy out, the forecast isn't looking very good. It's like an Okotoks summer right now, and um, I don't want to go fishing. You know, if Peter had said that to Jesus, he would have been robbed of the experience that he was about to have. He wouldn't have had the experience if he didn't obey what Jesus said. And so even though it was a very personal uh, miracle, you know, that Jesus is speaking to Peter on a personal level, Peter still had the option to say, no, I don't want to go fishing. Or if he went fishing, he would have maybe said, you know what, today's a catch and release day, and I'm just going to keep throwing the fish back. I don't believe there's going to be a coin in the mouth of one of these fish. Peter had every right to reject Jesus' instructions to do something different. I'm going to call Craig up and go golfing instead of fishing. How about that, Jesus? He could have done any of those things, but he didn't. He trusted Jesus. He trusted Jesus' word in his life. He trusted Jesus' instructions to him, and he obeyed. Trust and obey. There's like an old hymn that has that refrain. If you grew up in church, that was a hymn I sung like, I don't know, 35 years ago or something like that. <laughs> trust and obey. There's no other way to be happy in Jesus, which isn't actually always true because sometimes trusting and obeying doesn't always lead to happiness. Just throw that out there. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe that's why we stopped singing that hymn. I don't know. But to experience Jesus, we need to trust him and we need to obey him. Peter did that. And his relationship with Jesus probably went to a whole other level that day because he, he not only learned in his head, but he experienced it in his heart and in his life. It takes humility in order for us to get to know Jesus better. If you're here this morning and you're asking the question, how well do I know Jesus? And you're thinking, you know what? I don't know if I know him that well, or I don't know him as well as I would like to. It's going to take humility to get to know him better. Humility means submitting yourself to him and saying, you know what, Jesus, I don't have all the answers, but I believe you do. And then when Jesus gives you the answers to say, you know what, I'm not going to reject what you're saying, but I'm actually going to embrace it and receive from you. That takes humility. So a final question this morning, why does this matter? And again, there's probably lots of reasons why this matters. But as we consider this uh, episode in the life of Jesus and Peter, there's this whole idea of representing Jesus that's going on in this passage. These tax collectors come to Peter and they say, doesn't your teacher pay the temple tax? Well, yes, he does. Peter just misrepresented Jesus. In that moment, when Peter was asked that question, he could have actually said, well, actually, do you know who my master is? Let me tell you a little something. And maybe Peter would have preached his first sermon in Matthew instead of in Acts. I don't know. But he could have said, let me tell you about this Jesus, my master that you're calling him. He is the son of the living God. He's the Messiah. He came to restore all creation to the Father. He came as the way to truth and life. Let me tell you about Jesus. Bill did a fantastic job of, uh, in, in this worship experience to just remind us of some truths about Jesus. And Peter could have taken this opportunity and he could have represented Jesus very well. But he didn't. For whatever reason, he shied away or he forgot or we, we don't know. But he misrepresented Jesus. 
And the beauty of this passage is that Jesus takes Peter's mistake and he redeems it and he redeems his reputation in the process. So he works with Peter, he's patient with him, he talks to him, he reminds him, do you know who I am? Yeah, you're the son of the living God. I forgot that for a moment. You know, let me prove that to you. Go fish, get the coin, and that coin is going to restore my reputation that you've just kind of messed up here this morning. So Jesus works with Peter in the midst of this misrepresentation. So why does this matter for us? We're called to represent Jesus here on earth. Jesus isn't in physical body form to represent himself. And so through his Holy Spirit, which Peter didn't have also, we have the Holy Spirit living in us to help us represent Jesus well. And so Jesus' reputation is at stake. And to the, the, the greater that we know Jesus, the greater we can represent him in our world. And so if you're here this morning and thinking, you know what, there's room for growth. I could get to know Jesus better. I could experience him more in my life. And if, if that's your, your desire out of a, a teaching like this, sort of the vision for where that could go is that other people will be impacted because Jesus' reputation will shine in and through your life. And when you're given opportunity, you'll speak on his behalf. And when you're given opportunity to act in love and to serve others and, and to let Jesus do that through you, his reputation will be revered and restored and, and it, his name will be made great among us. Jesus is the one who will accomplish his work in us just like he did in Peter. And Jesus is the one who will help us represent him well just like he did in Peter if we humble ourselves and submit to him and his work in our lives. So let's come to Jesus and invite him to reveal himself more and more in our lives. And as you're holidaying and road tripping this summer, maybe one of your ambitions would be to get to know Jesus more as you spend time with him this summer. Why don't we stand and, and pray and the worship team is going to come and lead us. Stand together. Why don't we just pray for us. Jesus, we've been worshiping you this morning. We've been declaring that your name is great. And like Peter, we believe that you are the son of the living God. You are the Messiah who came to rescue us and to restore us into relationship with the Father. You came to transform our lives to make us look more and more like you so that you would draw the attention. And so Jesus, we pray this morning that you would help us to get to know you well, that we would get to know you in our heads and in our hearts, that we would experience you by trusting you at your word and obeying your lead in our lives, and that through that journey you would shape us to be more and more like you. And we pray that the, the nations around us would be blessed by the people that you're creating us to be. We pray for the community of Okotoks and our, our neighborhoods and our workplaces. We pray that your light would shine through us and that we would represent you well when we're given opportunities. So Holy Spirit, would you fill us this morning? Transform us and use us. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.